You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Andy Zoll, the editors of Manufacturing.net, Design and Development Today, and IEN.com. We each have about 15 years of experience covering the industry. Each week, we take the five most popular stories on the websites and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also do us a big uh, big favor by leaving a podcast a positive review. Finally, if you want to reach any of us, you can reach us at Jeff, Andy, or David at IN.com. All right. Solid opening, guys. <laughs> solid opening. Uh, I thought for sure if you're going to make any mistake, you would have called Andy Anna. Oh, yeah. No. But, no, no, no. It was earlier than that. Yeah, you, you got past yeah, that. That part went Good well. Good work. Yeah. No, uh, unfortunately, Anna's unable to uh, join us today. Andy, you're pitching in short notice. Really appreciate it. Uh, anytime, as always. You have a stack of notes from just being notified like hours ago that you were going to do this. It's great. Um, they're mostly your notes that I printed out. Oh. It's a big stack of them, but it looks like I did a lot of work. <laughs> so You need to learn. You take credit for everything. Yeah, you yeah. do not give credit. That, yeah. isn't, that isn't what we do here. The yeah. prep is there. The prep it's is not there. the culture. Um, I mean, I did hit the print button, so. Yeah, yeah. You own it. Somewhere the tree's crying. All right. Before we get started, I wanted to do a special shout out to Jordan at the team at PBZ. Thank you very much for the kind words. And for everyone, uh, please keep sending us, you know, your feedback regarding the podcast. We really appreciate it. Helps us improve it as we go forward. Uh, We also have a couple more Today in Manufacturing t-shirts. So if you're interested in one of those, please email any one of us with email the podcast in the subject line. We'll shoot one of those out to you. We're just really enjoying spending money on postage. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's jump into our first story this week. Uh, our first story this week is NTSB has said poor planning led to deadly Texas pipeline blast. On August 21st, 2020, in Corpus Christi, in Corpus Christi Ship Channel in Texas, the dredging vessel Wayman L. Boyd's rotating cutter head cut the 16-inch pipeline owned by Enterprise Products. The cut released a geyser of propane that exploded around the vessel and killed five people. The National Transportation Safety Board has determined that the accident likely happened as a result of inadequate communication, planning, and risk management by the operator, Orion Marine Group. Four crew members were killed. One employee died aboard an adjacent barge. The Wayman L. Boyd was a total loss, valued at almost $9.5 million, while the explosion caused more than $2 million in damage to the Enterprise Products Pipeline. According to the NTSB, the dredge operators did not realize how close they were to the pipeline, and dredging plans provided by Schneider Engineering and Consulting were deficient. The NTSB recommended that everyone involved in the explosion implement and update their policies and procedures for dredging near pipelines. And Andy, after about after a deadly disaster with more than $11 million worth of damage, it seemed odd to me that there was just a recommendation. Um, yeah, you would hope that there would be uh, more, of, uh, more of an enforcement angle to this investigation. Now, whether, whether OSHA or the, the Justice Department or even Texas authorities are, are looking into this, um, you you would hope they would, and there would be some ramifications mm-hmm. because there seems to me I am not an attorney, but it seems like there's obvious negligence here. I mean, as I read this, the engineering firm provided bad information to the dredging company, which meant that its preparation, um, as far as where it was going to dredge, wasn't right to begin with. So there's there's carelessness 
in these types of accidents. And this one happened before anyone went out on the water that day. So you would hope someone would eventually be held responsible in addition to implementing these kinds of recommendations. Now, according to the Caller Times, this company is facing multiple or all the companies involved are facing lawsuits. Some of them are facing multiple lawsuits. You know, one worker, Jose Cantu, uh, worked on the vessel is seeking more than $100 million in damages with everyone involved listed as a defendant. Lucio Silva is suing Orion Marine Construction for another $100 million in damages. And there are four additional lawsuits that have been filed against Orion. Three are seeking $50 million apiece. One is seeking 10. Now, Jeff, based on the negligence, this could be a very costly accident. It should be. Yeah. It should be an extremely costly accident. And there's a couple of different things here. So first of all, if you've ever read an NTSB report or an OSHA report or a chemical safety board report, any of which would potentially apply here, they're extremely well done. Mm -hmm. They're extremely thorough. And they really point out not only what happened, but what should have happened and what didn't happen. Now, that's great. But in the process of 14 months, which was from the time this happened to the time the report came out, the loss of four lives, you've got a government agency that basically did nothing but produce a really nice report. Mm -hmm. That is pathetic. That is absolutely the weakest response that could possibly come out of this whole situation. And the other thing is you talk about the engineering firm, that's the sister company of Orion Maritime. So they're all interwoven here. They all screwed up. They were all wrong and negligent. And just like the headline says, poor planning, deadly results. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely ridiculous that all that comes out of this are recommendations to be better next time, which allows these companies to essentially, although they're going to face some lawsuits and there's going to be some some mitigation here, basically they can come out of this saying stuff like, "Um, we're going to cooperate with the regulators, improve our safety program. We share the NTSB's objective in preventing similar accidents in the future. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. Here's the other thing that really... (laughs) almost made my stomach turn. Looking at some of the things that Orion is trying to sort of hide behind from a legal perspective, Mm -hmm. they're pointing to the Limitation of Liability Act of 1851. Recent. Recent. It's a maritime law that allows offshore companies to limit victims' compensation to the value of the vessel they served on. That's $9.5 million is what this boat was valued at. Now, it doesn't specify whether that's per victim or total. Or total, yeah. Either way, yeah. you're looking at the only thing that's going to come out of this is a potential civil lawsuit. The other thing, because of when this occurred, is everybody who is going to sue this company had to do so by February of this year. Mm. Now, that seems like a reasonable amount of time, except when you look at the government report that basically came out and showed how wrong Orion was in every way, shape, and form. It didn't come it out came, till December. It came out now, yeah. So basically, you had all this time, these eight months, where you really didn't know what was going on. And now, because the, the statute has come has passed in terms of the Limitation of Liability Act that, they're, that Orion is sort of trying to enforce here or put forward as the, the governance for all of this, mm-hmm. there may be people out there who had a right to seek compensation, who had a right to, even beyond the compensation, just hold this company accountable yeah. for the horrible incident that they created. Yeah, well, and I didn't even, at first, when you mentioned the deadline in February, I mean, that's only, what, six months after the accident? I mean, we talk about this a lot, where a lot of these people are probably still recovering from injuries, and meanwhile, they got to try and figure out how they're going to litigate this? Exactly, and at the meantime, there's probably difficulty. I mean, it can't be a real friendly work environment 
right? If you mm. were on that boat and you've got the, the company basically saying, hey, uh, you're not you're not going to sue us or anything. Right? Yeah. I mean, we're cool, right? So how do you manage your job there not knowing what you're going to do, not knowing exactly who is accountable until you see this report eight months after the fact or yeah. 14 months after the actual incident? Mm-hmm. All of these things are just extremely frustrating to me because you've got government resources on site ready to go, and then you've also got these legal roadblocks yeah. that are just preventing not only restitution – but also just accountability, which is the bigger thing for me. Yeah. It really reminded me of the story that recovered uh, back about like 20 weeks ago. Um, if you remember the story of the natural blaze in San Francisco, which was blamed on operator error because he started, uh, you know, he was working with Kilford Engineering and he was digging that trench for fiber optic cable yep. and he accidentally hit the gas pipe. And it was kind of all attributed to the same thing, bad planning, bad plans. And it's just, as we go to digitize everything, it kind of made me think about how we need to do a better job of mapping this stuff out. I don't know. I feel like the tools are there for accidents like this to still happen. I mean, I don't know. It just shows, you know, poor planning and negligence. Like a lot of things we talk about here, there's needs to be a more emphasis on the front end of like actually doing your homework. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm curious as to whether those uh, recommendations they issued went into maybe updating this country's uh, maritime laws. Because I feel like this has come up before where a lot of those are very – like a lot of laws, they're very archaic and they just haven't been updated to to account for the scale of both – boat traffic and modern economics, basically. Well, and it's not to say the court is going to adhere to that and that's what they're going to use in terms of going forward. But man – that is mm-hmm. a crappy tactic to pull out and try to use to to basically get out of being accountable for what you did wrong here. Yeah, we're going to defend ourselves with a 170-year-old law. Yeah. That's a hard one to, hard one to stomach. All right. Our next most popular story. 5G threatens aircraft instruments. The new 5G network is set to launch in January. However, months ago, the FAA began expressing concern over whether the 5G network could affect vital navigation and safety instruments on aircraft. This week, the Wall Street Journal reported that the FAA would limit pilots' use of automatic landing systems and other cockpit technology of more than 6,000 airliners and other aircraft. The systems rely on altimeters, which measure an aircraft's distance from the ground. The new Spectrum brand... The new Spectrum band could potentially interfere with radio altimeters. Telecom companies say the new network poses no risk to flight safety, but have still limited the power of some 5G base stations. The aviation sector says it could wreak havoc on air travel and stop planes from flying at night or in any conditions in which pilots can't see the runway. Jeff, this is just not an industry that can take another hard loss. No, and it's just such a weird convergence of different markets and different factors. And just to sidestep from that a little bit, isn't this basically what happened in Die Hard 2? Yeah. Didn't they tell the planes like they were radiant, they were closer to or further away or something? They did something mm-hmm. to mess with the landing and they crashed and yeah. horrible things. I mean, yeah, they were – I mean, they that airport, airport in particular was hijacked by terrorists, but right. – Similar scenario. Yeah. Because okay. I don't think in any way, shape, or form do I want something being limited in terms of helping to land a plane full of people. Mm-hmm. We should definitely avoid that. Yeah. And it's just crazy because you've got the 5G stuff, which has been tens has been the impact of tens of billions of dollars of investment by these wireless companies. Mm-hmm. You've also got 
on one hand, you've got those companies, which by according to some of the stats I pulled up, wireless technology companies are seeing year-over-year increases in profit of like 30%. It's a yeah. huge, huge, it's like a $5 trillion marketplace going up and up and up. On the other hand, you've got airlines and air travel down by about 25%. Oh. You've got these airlines losing basically like about $40 billion in total profit since COVID started. Mm-hmm. So you've got one spiraling one shooting through the roof. So weird that these two different markets um, are sort of connected um, through this technology. I would certainly hope as we get into this further, um, I can use a slower network mm-hmm. as opposed to an unsafe plane, especially yep. after all that stuff with Boeing and the 737 Maxes and all the safety concerns there. So I, hopefully that does become the greater priority here. I think one thing is they said that they weren't sure yet. Right? Yeah. It's still sort of TBD in terms of the the total impact. But I think when you do look at those, the other thing that's sort of in here as well is when you look at the infrastructure bill that was just signed, like $65 billion were allocated towards broadband improvements, mm-hmm. which doesn't specifically call out 5G, but that's the thought. That's yeah. the strategy behind that. So just a lot of weird competing elements here with, uh, mm-hmm. with this. Andy, I wanted to get your take because not only did you work on this story, but you also have uh, past working in the wireless industry, covering the wireless wireless industry for years. So, you know, what is your take on this story? Is it just, is this a real threat to aviation? And is it to the fact that 5G and telecom is so strong right now and airlines are so down that maybe they just have the upper hand in terms of what's going to happen? It's not so much that. It's just kind of really emphasizes the the fight over a limited resource. So mm-hmm. all our communications, wireless communications, travel over the radio electromagnetic spectrum. And mm-hmm. there's only so much of the the band. And this is in the C band, what they're talking about here. And so when the FCC auctions this off, I mean wireless companies pay billions of dollars for this. Right. Um and it's only certain sections are reserved for mobile. There's stuff for military and aviation here, obviously satellite um, all the things that we use wireless communications for. Um, and when these are, th- this is one of those instances where this, it just has to get resolved mm-hmm. for both parties, maybe not getting exactly what they want, but they, you know, we have to have air travel and these companies paid billions of dollars. They have to have 5g communications. Like they're just, they have to hash this out. Now, other companies, when the wireless companies say it's safe, they're pointing to other companies that have opened up this band and it's been fine. Mm-hmm. But other companies have, or other countries rather, have taken steps to um, alleviate any potential concerns. They've limited that activity around airports specifically. So maybe that's something they come up with here as this. It's basically a fight between these two different sectors over this very finite resource. That's what I found most interesting is that. So the telecom com- companies, telecom companies come out and they're just like, no risk to flight safety. Everything's fine. But just in case, we're still going to lower it. And it's like, well, if everything's fine, why are we going to lower it? Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's um, like you said, I, uh, these are two industries that they're both going to have to figure it out in order to make it work because it's not like either concession is going to be satisfactory. Yeah. You know, it's not like we can stop landing planes at night. Well, that's the thing, especially they're talking about limiting flights yeah. right? and cutting back. That's the last thing the airline industry needs right now yeah. to be mandated in terms of when they can fly people. Yeah. And, if, <laughs> and if I can't take that overnight red eye back from Vegas, like I'm not, I'm not flying. <laughs> okay, but you never plan to take that. 
Well, I mean, after that, a while, that, only half the people on that plane planned the first to time. Take the, red the eye. first time I took that, I didn't plan it, but then I realized, like, oh, you know what? I just hang out all day, sleep on the plane, wake up in Madison or Chicago or Milwaukee, <laughs> wherever I land, based on the poor planning. Uh, but yeah, no, it's. Uh, I mean, based in the Midwest, I mean, we would probably be severely limited as to when and how we could travel just because we're either, you know, coming back on red eyes or leaving way early in the morning. Absolutely. Either way this goes, can we call it the McLean resolution when this gets figured out? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is that too far? I think, I mean, it's not too far. I think that, uh, but it's almost. I'm excited. It's almost Christmas. That's like diehard movie season. Mm -hmm. I wanted to also shed a little light on just the strain 5G has had before it's even been rolled out. Now, I just took the high points and the fires that 5G has had to put out so far. 5G has been blamed for causing, exacerbating, and spreading COVID. I mean, that's one we've all heard. Causing cancer, being used by China to spy on Americans, Bill Gates using using 5G to brainwash us. It also kills birds, causes autism, damages trees and plants, and is being used to depopulate the planet. Okay, why did you do this? Because now somebody is going to capture that and use it as like a valid argument and all of those things. According mm. to David Manti and IEN.com, <laughs> all of this stuff is now true. But I should have said like in between each one been like, but this is garbage. No, it's just, you know, yeah. they've had to, they've had a lot of PR wars, you know, not rightfully so, but they've still had to like uh, combat some of this idiocy out there. And this is one that actually deserves a little bit of attention. Like this a lot of things yeah. uh, these days, this is a new technology that has not been properly explained to people who need things explained to them <laughs> a lot. Yeah. But yeah. they. Wow, but, that was very, very politically correct. Just trying try well to do done. my best out here. Yeah. Well done. But they needed explained to them in like a dimly lit YouTube video with, you no. know, a lot of fast facts. No, it needs to be like a chalkboard. Oh, chalk. No, yeah. oh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. What seems to be working? Yeah, yeah. There's some sort of, uh, you know, message board, special numbers. All right. <clears throat> Our next most popular story. I really hope that that is not used for evil. I'm really. Fe- I feel bad mm. about if, that. If now. you mm. hadn't said that, they can just deep fake it now anyway. You're so it's fine. If they deep fake me, they're just troubling, troubling, <laughs> waste of time. All right. Our next most popular story, Musk says job titles don't mean anything. Elon Musk participated in the Wall Street Journal CEO Council Summit in Washington, D.C. During the interview, the moderator asked the Tesla and SpaceX exec whether he would consider stepping down as CEO or taking a lesser role. He changed the subject and said titles don't mean anything anyways. Back in March, <clears throat> back on March 15th, Musk officially changed his title to Techno King. He also changed CFO's, uh, the CFO's title to Master of Coin, and this was in an SEC filing, and it was a joke. Musk said that there are four titles that mean anything for a company, president, secretary, treasurer, and director, and he says that they could all be the same person. Musk referenced the form entrepreneurs fill out when they're creating a C corporation. He says CEO, CFO, general counsel, all of them seem more like a marketing experiment. And the best part, Jeff, was that he said this to a room filled with CEOs at Wall Street Journal's CEO Council Summit. Yeah. Just like, you're all frauds. What a fun guy to hang out with. He is. He is a fun guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's put Elon in a corner for a second. Mm -hmm. All right. 
and I just talked about what he said in terms of titles. Now, you and I, and Andy, I think to a lesser extent, we worked with somebody that was chasing a title. Oh, yeah. And you're going to know who exactly who I'm talking about. There's this person was somebody's. chasing this title, wanted this title, finally got it. Mm-hmm. Saw the other responsibilities that were connected with this title and pretty much spiraled. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible thing to to actually end up giving this person, even though they chased it for so long. Right. So titles, it really, some people, it's a big deal. In that instance, chasing that title was a bad thing, mm-hmm. but that title did mean something. In other situations, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think most people, at the end of the day, they want autonomy and autonomy in what they're doing. And they want to be well compensated for it. Yeah. I don't think most people care about the title. Well, that's not, I think there are two types of people. There are people that care about the title and then there are people that care about the body of work. And I'm also concerned because I have at least five people in my mind. I'm not certain which one you're talking about. (laughs) However, I will tell you when we're done. Okay. That sounds good. I'm sure that him or her. Damn. Yeah, it is, uh, him no. or, it, it, is, it is him or her. Oh, okay. You're, you're dead uh, on right there. They're um, not in this room. But what bothers me, <laughs> what bothers me is that, so I get it. Like, uh, and people know in the company uh, whether or not that person is doing their job or whether or not uh, they're valuable to that company. The only thing that I'm bothered by is even though these are, you know, essentially fraudulent. Once you attain that title, you're in that upper crust and you can be headhunted and you can be remarketed to and repackaged to other companies because we've seen toxic executives. But you have to care about that. Yeah, I know. But see, that's the thing is like there are people that don't care about that, but all the people working for that company, they care about it where they're just like, you know, and so I just it bothers me sometimes when. Once you've attained the status of a CEO or CFO, sometimes that's all that matters. You know, whereas they don't look at the body of work where it's like, oh, you were like universally hated and your history of work here has shown like a bunch of failures. Yeah, well, we had a lot of bad apples there. A lot of bad apples. Um, Andy, your take on the legitimacy of titles. Um, it, it's pretty obvious he's just trying to stir things up here and maybe distract from some some other issues he may have going on at his respective companies. But um, I think it's worth maybe considering that we do place uh, too much values, too much value on a title. And I'm as guilty of it as anybody. You're mm-hmm. always, you know, you feel better when oh. you get a new position or what have you. Yeah. Um, and uh, it probably shouldn't be that way. You know, it just because, you know, if I declare myself senior executive vice president of words or whatever, that, <laughs> uh, that doesn't change my day to day. And so, um, yeah. Maybe just uh, it's this is not going to change overnight or anything, but maybe we should just as a society maybe consider not placing as much emphasis on your title and maybe a little more on the uh, on the work you're doing. Well, and I think that I agree with you 100 percent there. And I think one of the reasons that it he's he's definitely flexing a little bit here mm-hmm. and he can because he's got one company out of four that's actually publicly traded. Right. Tesla is the only one that we really know about the financial inner workings and it's doing extremely well. Mm-hmm. So he can get away with stuff like calling his CFO the master of coin. Mm-hmm. Now, if SpaceX or Boring or Neuralink wants to go public, guess what? If I'm a banker and I want to sit down and invest some money or an investment guy or whatever, I don't want to meet your master of coin. Mm-hmm. I want to meet the CFO. Yeah. I want to meet your CIO. I don't want yeah. all of this other cutesy stuff going on. So he can get away with that here, mm-hmm. but that's because it's after the fact. Yeah. And he can talk about that. And it, I think this was intentional. He does this stuff to just 
he finds he's looking for a bear to poke sometimes is what it yeah. feels like. He's just he's searching for something to stand out as the sort of rebellious leader who's going to try to reshape the way we do things in corporate America. And but it's unnecessary. Yeah, it's unnecessary. But there's like it always there's always at least a kernel of truth in there that uh, yeah. that is what makes people laugh at first. Like, man, he's crazy. Man, that is really true, though. Really true. Like, I would actually love it as a thought experiment if we change your title to executive vice president of words, like on LinkedIn and just see how many I can, pitches I can do that in. when we're done here. Sure. Yeah. Just like, you I know, feel what? Like that's not the craziest thing I've seen on LinkedIn. Oh, so no, I mean, I poked at it like uh, in this video, but with all the gurus and evangelists and strategists. And I mean, I always take a jab at consultants, but oh, yeah, the ninjas, the ninjas. <laughs> Everyone's a, like a word ninja. Careful. Just like, Anna did want to be known for a short time as the B2B content ninja. Well, so I would say that's legitimate. That's excluded. That's oh, okay. a legitimate title. Yeah, here. Anna's a for black our purposes. Belt. She's yeah. a black belt in that, right? Um, now, I would also highly encourage everyone to watch this interview because uh, it covers some just fascinating points, and I would like to go through just a few of them that he covered. And I mean, I we could, it could dedicate an entire podcast on this forty-minute interview that he did, but he said that autonomy will mean more than will mean more cars and traffic that will actually be on the streets. So he says that we're going to need like double deckered freeways and to build tunnels in order to relieve some of this congestion. Now people talked about flying cars, but he says he's not a big believer in flying cars, which I'm sorry, Anna's not here to just champion that, you know, (laughs) not a big believer in flying cars. He says they're basically helicopters with wheels, you know, and he raised another interesting point that I really kind of didn't think about, but he said people don't want the skies swarming with flying cars. And I mean, while it's cool to be in a flying car, but if the skies looked like the Beltline, that'd be, that'd be a garbage view every day. Worse than ours already. I mean, my my house is in the, the flight pattern of the airport. It's already annoying. I can't even imagine having a little <laughs> thing buzzing over every... Right? Yeah. Just a bunch of quadcopters going back and forth. How now, did he get on to like, traffic patterns and flying cars from job titles? Infrastructure bill. And actually, the infrastructure bill came up before, which leads into he talked about the role of government, which made me uh, be good. Yeah. Mm. He said now and Jeff, I think you'd find this one interesting. The role of government should be like a referee, not a player on the field. They need to get out of the way and not impede progress. He said rules and regulations increase every year. There's more every year and it just gets harder to do things. Now, what I found interesting, and what, I is he think, running for state assemblyman now? Well, no, but I mean, this would get him elected, right? This would get him elected. I mean, he I feel said, like I've heard that a hundred times in my career. <laughs> but he says there's no effective garbage system for removing rules and regulations. So, you know, uh, which would be like, I mean, what well, we're talking, we just talked about this maritime law from 1851. You know, there's plenty of mechanisms. It's passing bills. It's not easy, but there's mechanisms. Well, that's his issue with all this stuff. Like mm-hmm. it, there's a process and you have to be patient and you have to work through it. He just says, this is what it is. Just do it. He also, uh, he, ta- he said that he takes a lot of heat because they, uh, people say Tesla is worth so much because of the subsidies that the government created as a result of it. But he said that he's in favor of getting rid of all subsidies everywhere. Delete them all. Well, of course he's going to say that. Huh? Because for EVs, his stuff is timed out for the most part. 
Yeah. Okay. So Tesla subsidies are almost gone, whereas we're going to talk about Lucid here in a little bit. Yeah. They're just coming on board. Yeah. He doesn't want Lucid buyers to to get those subsidies. So that's a pretty easy thing for him to say. Not picking just winners EVs. and losers now. Yeah. Not just EVs all over. Well, yeah, again, that's yeah. really, really easy to say when you're worth, you know, $50 billion. It is. Uh, there was definitely one part of the interview where he's like, we can go longer if you want. And she's like, well, that's fine, but we have a specific amount of time. And, you know, we have other people here to speak. And he kind of just looks at her like, but it's me. Like, <laughs> but I'm like, you got everyone in the room. And I you am got, Iron Man. Yeah, you've got like two through 50, but you're talking to number one right now. So number one's going to talk until, <laughs> until he's on. Um, two other things that, of course, were interesting because this one has to do with um, the labor shortage. They talked about the Tesla bots. And... He talked about, you know, using autopilot, which is in a Tesla, in a humanoid robot, using it as a substitute for human labor because he says there's not enough people. And now at first I was like, there's not enough people. Oh, yeah. No. Okay. so this is uh, there's enough people right now. But he said the greatest risk, one of the greatest risks to civilization is the low birth rate and the rapidly declining birth rate. If people don't have more children, civilization will crumble. Man, I don't know what to do with that. He this said, is a look lot at the numbers. Of, this is a lot of swagger for a guy who last week said one of his companies was going to go bankrupt. Oh, I so mean, we're, we're, I mean, he is. Man. And if you want to talk about swagger, when he asked, is that why you have six kids? He said, well, I try to set a good example. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> That's such a good line. I mean, I mean, Japan's been dealing with this for years and years and years, a, a low birth rate. And they're, they, they struggle with, I mean, it's a market economy. You have to have a market to operate so mm -hmm. it's if your population is declining i mean i can see that argument from an economics perspective no I'll, whether he is right is another question altogether yeah i mean man there's so many holes in that argument you know, i mean time it I was mean, only like i said this could be an entirely different podcast but i mean uh separate podcast but again this is why i would encourage you to uh listen to it because the other one finally we talk about Neuralink every once in a while and that's where he's trying to connect the uh brain computer interface but he says that Neuralink will have the chance to restore full body functionality to people who have lost control of their limbs very soon. And I found that also very exciting. This is the polarity when you're dealing with this guy because mm -hmm. he's a genius. Oh, and if man. there's a guy who can do it, it may be him. I don't doubt his ability to do anything he sets his mind to. What he needs to do is focus on his actions because his words are horrible. <laughs> I don't know. Some of these words are pretty good. Some of these are pretty good. And it's a... Uh, no, agreed. Like, uh, overall, it's like any kind of analytical thinker or a lot of engineers that we talk about. They know what the right answer is, and they don't really seem like they need to explain it in any good, clear way for people to understand. And that's the vibe I get a lot when he's talking. Yeah. Again, man. I'll, I'll borrow Anna's line here. If only he had somebody to help him formulate his messages, you know, like a media or public relations. Oh, wait. He got rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. He has, he yeah. has Twitter. Yes, yes Twitter. 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 Oh, my goodness. He sure does. All right. Well, we spent enough time on that. So let's move on to our next most popular story. Thank you for uh, <laughs> entertaining that. It was just, I was as I'm watching it or listening to it, I'm just like, and he's, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> just taking All right. Next most popular story this week. Thieves use Apple tracking devices to steal cars. Earlier this year, Apple debuted AirTags a Bluetooth-connected button-shaped tile that helps you keep track of things. 
Unfortunately, law enforcement in Toronto have reported car thieves using Apple's new tracking tiles to steal luxury vehicles. Thieves are placing the tags in hidden areas on high-end vehicles and when they're, when they're parked in public places. Then they trace the cars back to the owner's homes using their phones and then steal them right out of the driveway. Andy, I just figured, you know, with new technology, we're always going to figure out new ways to use it for nefarious reasons. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening here. Um, this, uh, it, it will be interesting to see. This is a very kind of isolated case. I, there's no stats on whether this is happening in the broader uh, economy, but in suburban Toronto, where we're talking about, there were, I believe, five cases that these the, uh, the local authorities have investigated. So uh, that might be a little too small of a, of a ripple in the pond for Apple to respond to, but I'm interested in whether they would consider uh, limiting how AirTags could be used in somehow, because in theory, you put them on your keys, your wallet, whatever you don't want to lose. But there's, you know, getting your car stolen is bad enough, but there's any number of other easily imagined scenarios where this could go south. Yeah. Stalking yeah. cases, domestic violence oh, yeah, cases. I was say, put it on a kid. Like, it, right. Yeah. So this, uh, it, it's opening up uh, another tech can of worms with uh, some unintended consequences, it looks like. Is part of this, Jeff, is part of this story that by by reporting this by sharing the story from the uh you know Toronto law enforcement are we just giving criminals a new, a new idea I don't think so because you know I think this one gets a lot of attention because it's an Apple product yeah I just did some quick googling yeah you can find a GP, a magnetic GPS tracker on Amazon for like 15 bucks mm, you just okay. you just checked that now I did uh-huh. honestly you didn't know that no <laughs> Uh, We're gonna sweep our cars. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, you can find one of those. I actually did, Amazon, did an Amazon search for that too. The sweeper things; those are like three hundred eighty bucks. Oh, see, so You're there's solutions out. out there potentially. Mm-hmm. I'm with Andy. I'm with some of the comments on our sites as well. People basically saying this is not a technology issue; mm-hmm. it's the application issue. Uh, and I would agree with that 100. percent There was something interesting though, and I wasn't that familiar with AirTags. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of heard the name before, didn't exactly understand what they were till we did this story. But on Apple's site, they say that the AirTag is designed to discourage unwanted tracking, okay? So if someone else's AirTags finds its way into your stuff, your phone will notice it's traveling with you and send you an alert. Oh. Okay, so that works if you have an iPhone. If you, you know? Yeah, okay. If you don't have one, though, it's also, if you happen to be with a friend who has an AirTag, okay, um, these alerts are triggered only when the AirTag is separated from its owner. It'll actually um, emit a, an audible alert, oh, okay. the actual tag. So I wonder if these car thieves are doing something to actually manipulate the tag mm. so that it doesn't allow anything to go to either somebody's iPhone or, you know, give that, that audible alert. So it would kind of chirp. Um, exactly. Okay, because when I'm thinking it's separated like, from the owner. Yeah. And it's not yours. Like, because if it's yours, it knows who you are through your phone. Yeah. If it belongs to somebody else and it's on you, like, you know, I accidentally grab your phone or something, it'll tell me you got David's phone. Yeah. That type of thing. Is there... Is there anything, have you guys ever used any of these solutions? I've seen them a lot where people put them on keys, but I mean, uh, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I could have used something to keep track of my items a little bit better, but, uh, there's just, I mean, I don't see a need for this. Uh, do you guys see a big need for this type of tracking technology? Um, I've, uh, gotten along this far without losing my (laughs) keys or my wallet. So no, but also I'm. 
rapidly approaching middle age. So maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe for somebody younger than me, it's a, it's a different response. I have to admit the first, when I thought about this, and again, I hadn't thought about air tags, but with my daughters getting their license and no. keys and stuff, and I was like, those fobs are expensive. I mean, yeah. it's 175 bucks for a new fob. So maybe something it's like that. To protect the fob and not low jack their cars. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. <laughs> Why would I load... No, no, wow, I mean, you are going dark today, man. Well, no, I'm just saying, like, oh, I just uh, it has to be so we don't lose your keys. But I mean, also, it's going to follow you wherever you go. My kids are not like you in high school. Okay, I don't have to. I don't have these same worries. That's what all good kids say. <laughs> that's what. That's what we all say. Yeah, hey, but, everyone else got in trouble, not me, because I ran the fastest. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? No, no, no. I just the, uh, the other thing. <laughs> I wonder if, you know, Andy, like Andy said, this has kind of been focused in this one geography right now, if this does get wider spread. Yeah. What I would envision actually is the the automakers putting in some sort of jamming technology almost. I mean, we have Wi-Fi in the vehicle right now. Yeah. And actually buying like Wi-Fi jammers is actually illegal. Oh. Because if you have one, you're in your traveling, you're yeah. screwing everybody up oh. wherever you go. Yeah. But you would think they would, if this becomes a bigger issue, there would be the ability to block anything, I mm-hmm. guess transmitting from your vehicle yeah. so somebody couldn't pick up your Wi-Fi and then ideally some of They did signals. recommend uh, disabling uh, the port that you use yeah. to, to wipe, yeah. the, wipe the the key clean. So that's uh, in addition it. to the the club from the 90s, those commercials, they rec- that'll work too. Yeah. So okay. sometimes they can, low-tech stuff. Yeah, they can still find your car, they just couldn't steal it. Right. The, well, I mean, that's one of the things that I found interesting is that once they were locating the cars, they were also using whatever the device was that mechanics used to reprogram your car back to its factory settings. And I was just like, I mean, my, my knowledge of it is still, you know, movies and TV where they like rip the panel out yeah. and they like hot wire. It. Yeah. They grab two wires and it's like, Oh, it just, that's it. Is that easy? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, they're getting much more sophisticated. Is that the, is that well, what you're talking about? Where, uh, where you go on Amazon and, Buy one of those for 400 bucks or whatever. Is that a different the thing sweeper? you're talking about? Yeah. It would work on anything, like okay. a room, car, whatever. Uh, hmm. It looked pretty cool. I mean, you kind of want uh, to give that, just That's what struck, like that's, all the tag does is take a little bit of the legwork out. Really, the work yeah. is busting the car open and wiping the key. So, yeah. but apparently that's easier than I imagined too. So, no, that's I, comforting. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have to, like, uh, we were, we mentioned briefly about like autonomous cars, but as cars become, you know, basically just computers with uh, wheels, that has to be something that they would detect almost like malware. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, this is great for Toronto, but in my neighborhood, they're still keeping it pretty analog where it's almost daily where some guy's like, I was just warming up my car and wouldn't you believe it? It's like, oh, it was stolen like all the other cars in the neighborhood. Uh, you left a running car unattended. And right. It was stolen. I just That's like a shock. I like to think that I leave mine running, but with kids in it, so they'll think twice. <laughs> you just attacked my parenting, and then you throw that little nugget out there. I didn't. I well, I have I have a mare tagged. <laughs> so you're okay if they go missing because you can find I'll them. I'll find them. Yeah, yeah, on your phone. Just, yeah. okay. Oh, geez, I got a buzz. No. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our most popular story. I really week. hope Carrie Manti has some comments to make on this oh, live she, broadcast. She's always got comments. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. Good ones. Good ones. Man, you guys automatically think the worst. <laughs> I do love her. All right. Our top story this week. EV maker Lucid crashes after disclosing SEC subpoena. 
Lucid Group, a new EV startup, announced that it has been subpoenaed by the SEC over how it became publicly traded. As a result, shares of the company crashed, falling 18% and bringing down Tesla, Fisker, Rivian, and Nikola stock down with it. Lucid, formerly known as Churchill Capital, went public in July after combining with Ativa, a special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC, which are used as a shortcut to go public. Companies going the SPAC route often feel more licensed to highlight projections from big growth that they're expecting in the future, instead of, you know, what they've actually proven. Before the hit, Lucid had a market capitalization of nearly $78 million. Andy, that puts it in company with GM and Ford, and that just seems ridiculous to me. Every one of these EV startups that uh, that tries to go public, everyone is always chasing the next Tesla, so their values just skyrocket mm-hmm. um, because it's it almost seems like it's easier to chase the unknown commodity than the the known commodity. Where you know Ford and GM are telling you, "Hey, we're building electric cars, and we actually know how to build cars." Um, but that's maybe not as interesting as getting in on the ground floor of uh, these other companies. Um, I also found it weird that a weird, rarely used shortcut that became very popular is now having some ramifications. That's <laughs> it's so unusual odd. to see that. Yeah, yeah. Particularly in the financial sector. Correct. Yeah. Um, no, it was, uh, does it seem to you like there is going to be some sort of, and maybe not just with EVs, but I feel like this is a bubble forming. I mean, almost for, uh, my thought is that there's more, it seems like there's more Nikola's out there than Tesla's out there for every, you know, Tesla is one of however many there's yeah. one mm-hmm. and they're looking for the next one, but there doesn't mean, so it's almost like there's a bubble with, with each of these. There's, we have the same discussion with Rivian. Mm-hmm. They're now what the second most valuable car company in the world. So, and we'll see, I mean, they haven't even started delivering cars yet, so we'll have to see what happens here, but some of these are bubbles. Mm-hmm. So maybe some of them work out. We'll just have to see. I, I mean, we are going to have to see, but Jeff, I just don't understand how a company can go public with only forward-looking information and not the fact that at the time they hadn't, I don't think, delivered a car, and now I think they're at 42? Yeah. Not certain? Yeah, and then that does kind of lead into what you were talking about. It was a bubble. Mm-hmm. The good thing is it's when it pops, it's kind of limited in terms of its impact. So mm-hmm. these folks are investors. This isn't tied into, you know, big 401k funds or anything else. These are these are private investors who are going out there on a little bit of a limb. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at some of these companies here, the ones that were mentioned, Tesla, they're okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to worry about Tesla stock prices. Fisker, I don't really know where they're at. I don't think anybody's holding their breath there. Rivian has, you know, Amazon behind Amazon it. Backing, they're yeah. gonna be okay. And Nikola, well. I think the dirt is starting to get kicked on the coffin there, to be real honest. <laughs> I, I don't see much coming out there. But as far as as far as um, um, Lucid goes, I think this was sort of a knee-jerk reaction. After all that stuff at Lordstown where there were oh, such yeah. he- heavy investment, and for good reason, right? There was so mm-hmm. much optimism and so much stuff you wanted to work out there. It so had a badly. good pedigree. <laughs> That's a great voice. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you use that one for? I don't even know. That was no. fantastic. Um, yeah. it, it did. Everybody wanted to feel good about Lordstown, and they got, you know, they lost a lot there. So I think this was a little knee jerk. 
all in all, I think Lucid is going to be fine. Mm -hmm. um, it was the 2022 Motor Car tr Motor Trends Car of the Year, right. their Air, and that's an $880,000 sedan that we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. But it's got a 500-mile range on it. It's got a lot of great stuff going for it. I think Lucid, like you said, they're just starting to deliver cars. I think this is a little bit more of a hiccup yeah. than, than anything else. I saw today they just got another almost $2 billion in funding oh, wow. um, from another offering of a future <laughs> type stuff. So I, I don't know, I'm not going to pretend to understand all the financial elements in that. But again, I think this was a little bit of leftover concern from some of those other areas. And I think Lucid going forward will be, be just fine. But when it comes to valuations and projections, you know, traditional IPOs highlight on highlight past performance. So, you know, maybe if we went a little bit more of the traditional route, we wouldn't have such, like you said, knee jerk back and forth yeah. reactions. I mean, it's great that startups can all of a sudden have a huge value and a lot of a lot more cash on hand. We know that's what every startup needs, but I feel like there's I don't know. It's all a gamble, and I mean, it feels like it the bigger the bet, the more fun it is. So whatever. Well, and it's like it's like Andy was saying. Everybody's looking for that next Tesla. Yeah. You know, when it came out, I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were writing about million dollar losses within the quarter, hundred million dollar quarter losses, quarterly losses, and now it's through the roof. Okay, so everybody's looking for them. They're willing to, I think. Pre-Lordstown, they were willing to take some of that stuff as a normal investment. Now I think they're just a little bit more – they're scrutinizing a little bit more carefully. So, Andy, between Fisker, Rivian, Nikola, Lucid, and Lordstown, which one would you bet on? Um, I think it has to be Rivian at this point, yeah. 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 If, if they have – they don't have to worry about uh, cash flow if they got Amazon behind them. So okay, that's uh, – I mean – when you're talking about starting a car company from scratch, you're talking about uh, access to capital more than maybe any other industry. So, okay, um, that's that's what I would put my money on if okay. I were, and I am not. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, and there, ha I mean, there has to be something to be said said that like it doesn't necessarily have to be Tesla. You know, it could be a specialty or premium car maker mm -hmm. without, and still make it without, you know. Becoming the average sedan. Well, like we've talked about some of those smaller vehicles, electric mm -hmm. vehicles, you know, whether it's for campus use or, or whatever you want to say, there's a future there too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to in case you missed it. The stories that, you know, uh, maybe weren't as popular on the website, but we still think stands make a big impact on the industry going forward. Um, I'll, I'll start with mine this week. Uh, mine, in case you missed it, is a robot designed to enforce social distancing. Fun. It's going to be a fun one. Mm -hmm. so, Terminator. Yeah. Uh, more RoboCop? Okay. No. <clears throat> so researchers at the University of Maryland at College Park have created the CS Robot, which stands for the Mobile COVID Surveillance Robot, which detects noncompliance and social distancing breaches. The autonomous robot locates groups of people and tells them to break it up with a stern message on the screen. I added the stern because I figure that's what it's going to take to get it done. The robot can also take thermal images and then send those to security and healthcare personnel. Now, in tests, this robot detected and addressed most breaches, but the researchers stressed that they need to refine the technology and, most importantly, see how the robots will impact people's behavior in crowds. How soon... Does this crowd get, or does this robot get trashed oh, pretty man. much in any setting? Like, I mean, just, I could see it at, at a show at the Majestic, just like, now, now separate, separate. And just like, it's immediately like passed around and crowd surfed to the front where then it's sort of smashed, probably with the guitar. 
was going to say, because everybody loves tattletale technology. Mm. And then when you actually put like a form to that, I'm sure it'll go great. Yeah. Like everybody just embrace that wholeheartedly, right? It's a it's a small robot, yes. It's just a little yeah. little guy rolling around telling you you're five foot eight feet instead of six feet. I just can't imagine how quickly that thing gets kicked. Yeah. It's a base I mean, and if it like it is kind of a Roomba with like an iPad on you know. Uh so maybe they need a little industrial design into that thing. But either way, unless it's like on a track that's immediately being picked up, either slammed in place. Or just slightly outside. It needs like its own security, like a it's, bigger robot. <laughs> oh, it's going to help. Help. Yeah. <laughs> They've got me again. Uh, Jeff, to your, to your Terminator reference, it actually reminded me of uh, Robocop, the Ed 209, oh. where they uh, where they're testing it. And the guy's like, just point the gun at in a threatening manner. And it's like he's in noncompliance. And it did not go well for Mr. Kenny. No. Like, no, that was pretty graphic. Brutally, brutally yeah. shot to death. But so we're not going to arm these, right? It's America. <laughs> Boy, yeah, you're making friends today. No, it's. I mean, uh, I it made me think of like the teacher with the ruler at the dance, where it's yeah. just like, all right, now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even uh, in the test footage of this that they released, every student that this thing drove up to had the same look, like, oh god, this thing again. <laughs> <laughs> just like, and, but they were they were volunteers. So even the volunteer test subjects were seemingly annoyed by this. Uh, so how do you feel about it? I'm on board. <laughs> a useful tool. I just don't see it being, uh, in reality, I don't see it being effective. Um, yeah. We saw a lot of people developing similar type technology at the beginning of the pandemic, and everyone seemed to be on board with it, Like uh, especially with like Bluetooth tags, stuff like that, yeah. where it would not only let you know if you're too close, but also who you're around for contact tracing, stuff like that. I mean, maybe part of my response to this is coronavirus exhaustion, you know, um, and, and this seems like like an easy uh, pillow to punch. Yeah. But uh, I, it also just seemed like a little unnecessary to me. And it could be or not unnecessary, necessary, but ineffective. Yeah. I don't know. The public re- reaction to any of this type of like police bot, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. is always so overwhelmingly negative. Yeah. I think it's not a I don't think it's a bad thing to try to continue to develop, but yeah. you really you really need to be careful where you uh, roll this out because you yeah. know remember that hitchhiking robot that just got absolutely obliterated in Pennsylvania, I think. I mean I can't no. imagine I'd have to find this is years ago now, but I mean this is that on well, speed. I so mean, the UW UW Madison is either testing or using the the drones that uh, were being uh, the food delivery the ones. Food delivery They're ones. everywhere. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. I can't believe like as I drive down Park Street and see those, I can't believe more of those aren't either tampered with or destroyed because also there's so many there's swarms of them. They're My annoying. suspicion is kids are nicer than we were. Oh, that might be. That That's might just be. my no, suspicion. I, I have Plus, just like, anecdotally. Doesn't it seem like there's sort of a you don't mess with somebody's food? A yeah. Bit? Yeah, I, I guess. Know. But if that food tells you to step back. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, Andy. What's your in case you missed it this week? Um, Mine involves um, zapping the ocean with electricity. So the National National Academy of Sciences uh, recommended that the federal government spend more than a billion dollars over a decade to research how the ocean could potentially absorb more carbon. Because as much as governments or companies or whoever try to limit the amount of carbon we emit, the consensus, I believe, is that's not good enough. We're going to have to start taking carbon out of the air. 
and you can plant trees, of course. But one way that uh, these uh, researchers were looking at was the ocean. And they issued uh, six recommendations and kind of ranked them based on expense and how difficult they would be and kind of suggested um, uh, an amount to spend over the next decade. So I just want to run through them because I think they're really interesting and probably won't work, but at least they're probably interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one, the one they are most optimistic about is electrical jolting, which would apparently make ocean water less acidic. Um, and that's, uh, it says here that water that's more alkaline can suck up more carbon. It would also ocean ocean acidification is also a problem for coral reefs, marine life, that oh, sort of thing. Okay. So that could help address that. So that's the one they're most optimistic about. Um, it's also the highest cost, yeah. And I suspect zapping water, which famously conducts electricity really, really well, which have uh, have some risks to it. Yeah. So they want three hundred and fifty million for that one. They do. That's the uh, that gets the biggest piece of the pie. Um, the other ones they want to um, use minerals uh, to accomplish the same thing, make it more alkaline, um, add nutrients to promote plant growth, uh, seaweed farming, and then a couple other ones here. Uh, ecosystem recovery, which I feel like that ship may have sailed, although I really <laughs> like that idea. <laughs> Look. Well, no, that's it's realistic. Right? I mean, yeah, I'd agree. And, uh, Besides, what are you, Mr. Blackshirt here? I mean, come uh, on. No, no, no. It was just, I completely agree with him. It was just like, well, all right. My favorite one is uh, the last one. Uh, confidence that this is working is low. The risk's high. It has the lowest amount of money behind it, recommended money behind it. They want to create artificial waves. Um, like uh, like the wave pool at Noah's Ark or your other what standard is issue. What does that do? Um, it's uh, creates upwelling and downwelling to stimulate plankton growth. Oh, it says huh, here. Okay. So just you got to get more kids splashing in that water. That's right, and uh, that seems like uh, maybe you could charge admission too. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Some money it pays for itself. Well done. There you go. <laughs> um, do you? So you said the electric jolting was the one that they're the most promising. Yes, that's the one they want backed with the most funding. Okay. And how do it you, does say it is high risk. Yeah. <laughs> how do you medium to high risk? Yeah. Oh, medium. Okay. But like, Depends I guess how many people are in the water. I guess, I guess yeah. well, and not just people, but wildlife. So like, I get it that if you jolt the water, you do jolt the wildlife. And if you only do it for a certain amount of time, you only stun the wildlife, but there has to be some sort of risk with that. They, they say it'll work cause it's just chemistry. I mean, if you yeah. alter the water like that, but uh, yeah, I can't imagine what kind of homework would need to be done to make sure you don't? Uh, well, it's actually kind of a common practice, though. Like with the DNR, you'll see them stun oh, yeah, lakes shot, and, yeah. and stuff like that. So, I, greater scale, obviously, the, but yeah, I mean, the ocean. Sense. <laughs> how do you do, how do you go about that? Like, I mean, I just picture this guy with like a huge cord. He like lops off the side and just whips it in the ocean. Like he's out there on a rowboat with yeah. a cattle prod. Just <laughs> gonna restart her. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's how it's going to get done. Perfect science to it's me. It's a government employee. <laughs> it's like we started with $350 million and we, we wound up with a guy in a robot with a, a rowboat with a cattle prod. Sounds right. Sounds right. Uh, no, but I mean, if any of these were to actually work. So are these just at the R&D level right now? And the, this is like, not even that. They're, oh, okay. they're just they're not saying we should do this. They're wondering if we can. Oh, gotcha. and then you you answer that question later. Okay. Then, then some people are like, this is insane. Um, but also, basically, this panel is saying it's best to be prepared because something has to be done here. Well, I wonder if this any of these technologies are something that like 
DARPA or a different branch of the uh, government could get behind where there might be a little bit more. There is fun. some question of, of how to fund this. Um, there's some money in the infrastructure bill for, for climate change purposes. Um, but I believe maybe squirreling that away in the uh, Pentagon budget might be also a way to go about it if they could. All right. The ship has sailed on the ecosystem. Listen, <laughs> I hate that as much as anybody else, but... Well, what, what do you always say, David? Coral's not coming back. Well, I've never heard nice you say thing. that before, but... <laughs> um, can't have nice things. Can't have right? nice things. They're 3D printing Coral now. Yeah. I mean, let's start. One 3D printer at a time. All right. Jeff, what is your in case you missed it? Well, I'm going to try to go a little bit lighter, David. I'm sure you'll you'll plunge this into the the depths of disparity and the, <laughs> the, the state of of this planet. But did a story on Christmas cookies because I thought it was interesting to see the supply chain dynamics, mm-hmm. how it's impacting everything, and how it's really kind of impacted different areas in different ways. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> um, HelloFresh, so they're that, that prepared meal kit company. They put out a survey seeing what it would cost in different areas to produce 100 butter cookies for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Okay. The U.S. came in at about $6.10. And that encompasses two pounds of flour, a dozen eggs, butter, baking soda, and sugar. Okay. Okay. What was interesting is the U.S. is at six ten. It's like twice that much in Sweden. Mm. And even like the Dominican Republic, New Zealand, and Russia, it was more expensive to make Christmas cookies than the U.S. Okay. The most expensive place here in the U.S. was San Diego, which is not a surprise. Everything is super expensive there. But in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, $2.23 hmm. to make a batch of 100 Christmas cookies. 100 butter cookies. So Sounds like I a thought challenge. it was kind of interesting. <laughs> but the real pressing question is here. I'll start with you, Andy. What is your favorite Christmas cookie, if you had to pick one? Um, I just go with the uh, – I'm not, I'm not a huge – Christmas cookie guy, I'll, I'll eat. Uh, you have the pie with Christmas dinner. That's more my more my oh, scene. That's right, you're the pie guy. But there'll be yes, but mm. there'll be a, a plate of uh, cookies. I'll usually go for just the standard uh, sugar cookie with the little the frosting the, and stuff and the sprinkles. Not, I'll, I'll usually go with the sprinkles with either the the red or the green crystals on there. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm uh, I'm pretty basic. I feel like that's not, not a surprise to anybody here. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I guess that's better than uh, Mike Hockett on the taste test series. It's hard to disappoint me. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite Christmas cookie? I love the um, like the peanut butter cookies with the um, Hershey Kiss in yeah. the middle. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. are the strong. Those one. are the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife does a great job. She makes a bunch of different stuff too. She makes these ones with like pecans in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, good stuff. My uh, <clears throat> my wife just had their Christmas cookie exchange at work, so I'm really excited to tear into those. Um, but my favorite is uh, I, uh, my grandmother used to make them. They're called pillows, and it's a, a little bit of a, a thin layer of sugar cookie with a Hershey's like uh, square or not square, but like rectangle, just one mm-hmm. piece of a Hershey in there. And then you like flap over the other um top of the sugar cookie and then you put just a little bit of the uh green and red um sugar crystals on top you're talking about like a reese's ravioli type situation uh similar i would say it's because I'm, I'm extremely down for that it's like a her- but yeah not reese's it's a hershey's ravioli. oh hershey ravioli. yeah hershey ravioli but i'm on board with yeah we going. can we can adjust yeah, that we too. can make these larger mm-hmm. um no I mean, but we really have to talk about the critical danger with the choking hazards with Christmas cookies, Jeff. (laughs) 
Had a boy. <laughs> Way to drag us down. Uh, I always find these supply chain <clears throat> analysis pieces to be interesting because I don't know. It's I, I, when I first saw this, I'm like, my goodness, what the one thing we can't lose at Christmas is cookies. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I thought it was interesting to show the disparity in terms of like, I mean, when you say it's more expensive in San Diego and cheaper in South Carolina, I mean, if you look at where new factories are going. Like they're not yeah. going into South San Diego. They're going into great point. South Carolina. Well, even like in Charleston, two dollars and twenty three cents though. Mm-hmm. Like that's like a dozen eggs here. True. That's um. That was interesting. Yeah, they're getting them from Hockett again, yeah. and they're five. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but worth it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They're Front delicious. Eggs are great. Delicious. So, <clears throat> my in case you missed it, I thought that was kind of interesting. No, very interesting. Um. All right. Well. Before we get out of here, we always like to share our final thought. Um, Andy, what's your final thought? Um, this I actually had in mind before you uh, you scheduled the cookie discussion for the end here. Um, we had our, our first little container of Christmas cookies Ooh, out here, so yeah. broke the seal on that for the year. Um, and I didn't realize, if you ever work in an office setting, you just get like weird stuff sent to you around the holidays. Um, and I didn't realize how much I missed that last year <laughs> when we were all uh, working from home. So I was... Uh, I was glad to, one, realize that, and to eat some cookies. I was so happy that the company that sent us the uh, bouquet of um, the, the what is it, the fruit bouquet? Oh, yeah. Those, the edible arrangement. Yeah. Uh, they had checked down to a chocolate-covered pretzel this year, and I think that was a bold choice and a good, the right choice. It was, uh, it was uh, risky, but uh, really paid off. High risk, high reward. Well received. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Jeff, what's your final thought this week? So tonight, I'm going to go to a high school production of a Jane Austen play. Mm. And I'm, I was never involved in theater, like in high school. It was not my thing. Still probably not my thing, but I'm very proud of my daughters for being involved. And I've actually learned a lot in terms of how much is done. They're more like on the crew doing stuff backstage. It's a ton of work, and it's it's a great thing for them to pick up on and all that. But if I'm being honest, I'm definitely going to buy some beers before I go to, <laughs> to just something for me to have as a reward when I get home for, oh, for, for when sitting you get home. Yeah, not before. Not before. <laughs> just like as, in the school parking lot, shotgun and uh, beers like, here we go, Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I wasn't going there. Yeah, just I'd, as a reward for me when I do get home after two hours of, of Jane Austen play. But it made me think, like, has there been something you guys have gone to in support of a family member typically or, or whatever that you were just – it was rough. Like, you were not a big fan of – the worst I could do – and this isn't – like, I do not mind going to this play. This isn't yeah. terrible or anything. But I can definitely remember – like going to see some movies and falling asleep in the movie theater oh. because they were just so bad. And you basically went there because the person you were with really wanted to see yeah. this Reese Witherspoon movie or something, you know? That's, I mean, to that point, to specifically about movies, uh, there was <clears throat> one point early in my life when uh, uh, a family member started seeing somebody new and we went to the budget movie theater and Everyone voted we wanted to go see Bad Boys. But the new, uh, the person who was new to the family suggested we go and see Gordy the Lovable Pig, which was like a babe offshoot. <laughs> and it was just like my brothers and I, like, oh man, nah, maybe we see Bad Boys. And we were, I was like 12. So it right. was still like, 
age inappropriate, but we had a chance. And let me just go ahead and not recommend Gordy the Pig <laughs> to anybody. It's still like a running gag between my brothers and I, where it's just like, yeah, the movie's garbage, but it's no Gordy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to your other point about the theater, I love everything about the theater. I grew up in the theater, and I have done a little bit of theater like in a previous life, and I love everything about it and the what it does for the community and the kind of people it raises. So your daughters are in good hands. Like, so I'm doing that right. You're even doing though it I'm right. not tagging them, and I, I would trust them to, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah no, you're doing that right. You okay. got that one. Thanks. All right, uh, Zal. How about you? Uh, unexpected. Uh... Uh, nothing springs to mind, but I suspect I am the uh, the subject of one either in the uh, community bands, concert bands I was in growing up. Maybe when we were uh, a little younger and didn't exactly have real great command of our instruments, or uh, or later some of the uh, some of the bands I was in. Those those performances were a little rough too. Yeah. But everyone was very nice to me. My parents never said a word, <laughs> anything. So. Oh, you got another gig, huh? No, you got a hobby. Ah. Nice job. <laughs> well, very good. Uh, my final thought is just a shout out to Anna. We miss you uh, this week. And, you know, hope that everyone starts feeling better. And we'll see you again next week. All right. Before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also do us a favor by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to reach any of us, you can reach us at Jeff, Andy, or David at IEN.com. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, you can also subscribe to our newsletters, uh, our daily and weekly newsletters. Make sure you get the podcast in your inbox first. For Jeff and Andy, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.